to the Craft and Career podcast series featuring conversations with professional creatives from the arts, entertainment, and media industries. Here, we explore various approaches to craft and career, and even consider how those two can sometimes work together. I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy, and it's my pleasure to introduce our next guest, designer, architect, and founder of the civic design firm Field States, Matthew Claudel. Matthew graduated from Yale, class of 15, studying architecture before receiving a Master of Science in Urban Design and a doctorate in Advanced Urbanism from MIT. Matthew co-founded MIT's Design X program, where he was head of civic innovation for four years. He's currently affiliate faculty at Portland State University, and during the pandemic, served as strategic design lead for the healthcare company Curative. He has published widely on the subjects such as technology, design in the city, and he has co-authored two books, Open Source Architecture and The City of Tomorrow. We'll drop links to more info on Matthew's background in the notes, including the firm he founded, Field States, a benefit corporation with a mission to generate a civic value using strategic design. And Matthew, welcome to Craft and Career. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Always a pleasure. Um, uh, actually, I. I I don't know if we had talked about this before, but, you know, uh, your uh, um, winning of the Sedler Prize, uh, you know, quite some years ago was one of the reasons it had stuck in my head, your senior project. It was one of the reasons where I thought you would be a great guest for this program. And having seen like the different, you know, uh, paths you've taken along the way and interesting decisions you've made, um, I think you, you'll have a, a really great contribution to this conversation and a, and a definition of what is craft and what is career. So, yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you. It's really kind of you to say that. Um, it was a huge honor to win the Sudler Prize. And um, and I think some of the approach that I took to, to the work that was recognized is something that I've been carrying forward. And I'm really happy to talk to you about it. So thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Uh, so we usually start this by almost with a question of definition. Um, what, when I say career, it's a big word. Um, it's a small word, but it has a lot of weight to it. Um, what do you think of what, what does it inspire in you when we start talking about something like career? I think one of the premises of this show and correct me if I'm wrong is that the typical, the conventions of a career are becoming somewhat destabilized. Mm -hmm. And so when you say the word career, I, of course, have associations with the typical career, the, the career path, um, what it means to you know, start at a company and, and build up for a, a very long period of time. And for many reasons, that's no longer a reality for, for me, certainly, and, and for many of the students who are going through, through Yale and thinking about what they do next. And so I think it's really important that we ask this question, what is a career anymore? For me, in addition to those associations with the, the conventions of a career, are current approaches to what I'm doing with my time. So in a sense, um, definitionally, when you say career, I would treat that as a, a word that points to what I do with my time on a, a normal weekday, unfortunately, often weekends. Right. And also how I, how I make money, because that's something we all need to think about and we all need to do. And the ways that you use your time and the ways that you make money are the subject of creativity. And sure. I'm excited to talk about that. Certainly. Yeah. So, so that, that I like that. I like that as a definition. It's very practical. It can, we can sort of land on that and talk directly towards that. But I also wonder, 
so now, you know, craft and career, what room does that leave? Or how do you then think of the craft side of this? And I do tend to roll that into sort of the creative side, the, you know, a practice that might be associated with, but even surrounding or, or, or going further than just the job side. Um, yeah. Yeah. How about craft? Let's talk about that for a second. For me, craft is how you do what you do. The, the career is what you do with your time and get paid for. And the craft is, is how you do it, how you approach that what your distinctive take on it is, what makes your approach to that thing unique. And it's really an open-ended thing. And it's really exciting to consider that you could approach really any field, whether it's mathematics or architectural design with craft and to pay attention to the details and to develop your own voice in that field and to do the work that you're doing with integrity. That to me is craft. That's great. Yeah. And again, like that leaves a nice, like clean landing place for us to make a distinction between those two things. So if we start then diving a little bit deeper on the craft side, when you think of your craft, your practice, um, that, that thing that you're coming back to and the how that, that you're approaching these other things, what keeps you in it? What keeps you coming back to the table? What keeps you, you know, inspired and, and, and being regular in your process of practice, whatever that might look like? Well, I always want to be doing better and getting deeply into a, a field or a particular problem is something that uh, the, the more you get into it, the more you realize that you could be doing it better and you could be developing your own voice more strongly. And I get personally, I get really excited about cracking open worlds and fields that I was completely unfamiliar with before. I'm currently doing some work on uh, solar microgrids. That's captivating a lot of my time and attention. And, and I am definitely not an electrical engineer. I am definitely not a, an energy policy person, but I do think I have something to add in this field of, of solar microgrids and the transition to renewable energy. So, you know, on one level, I just got really deep into microinverters and AC coupled systems and these sort of technical things, having a lot of conversations with people who have spent their careers in main grid utilities, for example. So what keeps me coming back to this is just this voracious sense that I don't understand this world of energy production and consumption and distribution, and I want to understand it. And I want to make a mark on it. And I want to do that with, again, with integrity, with a distinctive quality to it. So in a sense, what keeps you coming back to your craft in some ways is, is the impact that you feel that you can be having with your craft. Yeah, absolutely. Again, craft is the appeal of developing a craft is that it can have impact. And at this point, I am very convinced that any of us, any, any human should be thinking of the work that they do, their career in the context of the climate crisis and the, the social crisis that we face. So that isn't to say that we you know, we should all drop everything and, and be activists. I think there's so much about any career that can be reoriented and refocused toward climate and toward uh, a lot of the, the, the social challenges that we face. And so again, doing that uh, with craft is, is exciting. It's challenging. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. adds a whole different layer of weight and responsibility, which is meaningful, but can also be complicated. So you mentioned solar grids and, and working in those directions. What are you taking in right now in whichever format makes sense um, that's inspiring you, that's sort of opening new doors, opening, you know, broadening channels for you? Yeah. Like what's whether reading or watching or just taking part in um, what, what falls into that category right now? 
so I will, I'll answer that question, um, in a, in a more open-ended way. These are uh, a couple of things that have really nothing to do with my professional work. I've been extremely inspired by a composer whose name is, and a performer whose name is Caroline Shaw. She was, I believe, the youngest person ever to receive a Pulitzer Prize, which she won a few years ago for her Partita for Eight Voices. And it's this incredibly beautiful, ethereal piece of music. And she's released an album not too long ago with So Percussion that I just find beautiful. And the reason I bring up Caroline Shaw is because I am terrifically inspired by the way she approaches her craft. She has this excitement, this exuberance, but also this precision and rigor around how she's making music, both performing and writing music. And I think she's dramatically transforming the field of of classical music, contemporary classical. So I, I just love what she's doing. She has this quirky, amazing Instagram channel where she posts pictures of soft boiled eggs. I mean, it's it's great. So I, I find Caroline Shaw very inspiring. And I'm currently reading um, Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, which uh, ostensibly is about psychoactive drugs, but is really kind of a this philosophical inquiry into consciousness and how we can think differently about consciousness. Both of those are great. I mean, uh, unique and, and certainly broad perspective, right? And perhaps speaking towards, you know, in your particular, the, the way you're looking at craft and, and, and the how sort of absorbing inspiration and ideas and, and energy from multiple different um, facets. Um, maybe that's a helpful way for us to think about how you can keep yourself open in multiple directions for multiple channels. How about community? When we think of craft, we're usually thinking uh, on some level of collaborative nature, yes, but also, you know, um, most most craft based, you have to have partnerships, you've got to have support, you've got to have people to, you know, uh, give feedback and critique. What does that look like for you? And how, if that is important, how have you been able to develop something like a community of practice? So I'll, I'll tie this to the previous question, which again, inspired by Caroline Shaw, she is a, a voracious collaborator. She's done music with Kanye West and she's done music with some of the, the major city symphonies. So having that collaborative approach in my mind is it's really exciting and building a community of practice can happen through collaboration. It can also happen through structures that are purpose-built to be communities of practice. And I have recently been honored to be granted a uh, fellowship from the Purpose Foundation, which is a nonprofit based in California. And that's to do um, this work on, on solar microgrids. And specifically, the Purpose Foundation, their, their mission is to explore alternative ownership and alternative finance models. And so as we explore what it will mean to create distributed renewable solar infrastructure in cities, they're absolutely brilliant thought partners for setting up alternative mechanisms of finance and governance. There are other fellows in the program who are incredibly talented, who have backgrounds that are very diverse and who are working on very different kinds of problems. And that's been a terrific group from whom I've learned a lot and and really enjoy engaging. Fantastic. Yeah. And we might come back around it a little bit later to talk a little bit more about those you mentioned sort of constructed spaces, sort of many of the, like the labs and things that you've been involved in mm -hmm. um, that might speak towards that as well. But for now, let's go ahead and Let's pivot and we'll go back towards uh, what you defined in, in, in really, I'm simplifying the terms. If craft is the how, then, you know, then career is the what. So let's go back to the what, like big C career. What, what started you 
in your what, in your career? Um, what were those first steps? What were some definable sort of like here, here were things along the way, the nodes that can be strung out. What did that look like as you, as you moved your way into the career that you fashioned up till now? A fateful taxi ride. <laughs> I'll Great explain answer. that. I'll explain that a little bit. Um, yes, please. Do. When I was when I was a senior at Yale, I was finishing in the architecture program and was considering a career in architecture. I wanted to become an architect who designs buildings, and I was applying for jobs. I was applying at architecture firms, and my ambition was to work for a few years at a firm and come back and get my master's of architecture and go on to practice, which is a fairly conventional career path in in architecture. I actually had a wonderful job offer from Robert Stern Architects, and they Robert Stern was the, the dean of the School of Architecture for quite some time, and I was very excited about that. During my senior year, I was also involved with designing and, let's say, co-hosting a course together with a dear friend of mine and colleague, which was technically in the Masters of Environmental Design program at the School of Architecture. And the course was sponsored, I guess, by Peggy Deemer, who's a wonderful thinker and someone who I look up to a lot. The course was a colloquium style course, and we were exploring what collaboration means in architecture. So we had different speakers coming in every week. One of those speakers was Carlo Ratti, who's the, the head of a lab at MIT called the Sensible City Lab. And... During his presentation, he used the phrase open source architecture. And I, I was bothered by this phrase. I thought it wasn't precise enough. And, and I, I let Carlo know. And we had a good conversation and we were, we were going back and forth. And, and he said, well, you know, I, I really have to get to the airport. So I need to go downstairs, but let's keep talking. You know, so, so I walked down to the, the ground floor of the architecture building. We were continuing to talk about open source architecture and his cab pulled up and he said, well, why don't you, I mean, I just need to ride to the train station. Why don't you get in the cab? So at the end of that, that ride at Union Station, he said, you know, this has been interesting. Why don't you send some ideas to my lab? And, and I thought that was that. So I wrote a, a bit of a letter. I summarized our conversation and, and uh, unexpectedly, to my surprise, I got a letter back from the lab that said, well, thank you for your application. Uh, we'd love for you to come give a presentation at MIT. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, I might as well. And so to make a long story short, I ended up thinking the conventional path is one I can always return to, but I have no idea what this lab does at MIT. And I think it might be interesting. Uh, this is probably more of a once in a lifetime thing. So why don't I jump into it? And, and that sort of unspooled into a career more or less in urban science and forging something that is very unconventional, very different from the architectural career path. Suffice to say, I am not a licensed and practicing architect who designs buildings. That's an extraordinary and telling example and also kind of keys up the direction we were going to take the in, in with the next question is sort of what are those, those unexpected, those supporting, those different? Can you give us uh, some more takes on Things that you've done, engagements that you've had that aren't textbook or sort of don't drop out of the MARC, that sort of thing. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about uh, other things that you've sort of strung together to make, to make this career work. There are three that come to mind that have been really transformative. One that I just mentioned was my role at MIT at the Sensible City Lab. That was, that was really formative. I think it was the, the big kind of moment when I launched out and, and realized that following in a conventional path was perhaps where I, where I was most excited and eventually where I was most comfortable was doing something 
sort of different and seeing how it plays out. Another is serving on the uh, the jury for the Canadian Smart Cities Challenge. This is something I did, I suppose, starting in 2017 or 2018. And it was quite similar to the Smart Cities Challenge that the United States had done a couple of years before. And the Infrastructure Canada, the department at the federal level, was hosting a Smart Cities Challenge in which they would award a $50 million prize to a winning city, a couple $10 million prizes, and a few $5 million prizes. And the idea was to advance the development of smart cities across Canada, cities of different sizes. And I was very lucky to be invited to participate in the jury for that. I was actually the only non-Canadian on the jury, (laughs) but it was an absolutely incredible opportunity, not only to spend a lot of time with my fellow jurors and learn from them, but to really become involved with the Canadian discourse in smart cities and technology and policy. And that's something that has absolutely marked my career. Actually, the majority of my current work is in Canada, um, Hmm. strangely enough. And I think it traces back to that moment and started of, there. Um, of serving on that jury. Yeah. And uh, sorry, I mentioned, I said there were, there would be three between my master's and my PhD at MIT. I worked with a faculty member named Dennis Frenchman, who's a huge inspiration to me, a dear friend and, and collaborator to develop a program called design X. And in short, that's a program that helps affiliates of the MIT School of Architecture and Planning to take their ideas that they're developing within the institution and spin them out, whether that's as a a startup, a company, open source code, as, you know, any number of things have come out of DesignX. And it's a a curriculum. We offer funding and mentorship. So it's a, a program that we started in 2016. And it's something I'm very proud of. Um, it's gone on to support many, many ventures in design in the built environment. And I, I remain involved with that as a mentor to, to teams. We're actually going to have the, um, the pitch night in a couple of weeks. Fantastic. Yeah, maybe uh, if you've got a, a link for that, we could drop that in the notes. Sure. Will, will that be open for audience? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'll be attending virtually, so I assume <laughs> there will be participation. There's some sort of way it works, right? Yes. Um, so with all the different kinds of projects you have going on, um, what does an average day look like for you? Like wh- how much do you get into? How much do you bite off? How do you make sure it's, you know, paced appropriately? What is an average day or an average week or however, however you really want to break it down? But what is, what does the norm look like? Well, that's changed, I think, for all of us uh, yeah, in the past several years. Post-COVID, right? Post-COVID, yeah. Or mid-COVID. I don't think we're post yet. But the average day, I wake up really early. I don't do a good enough job of structuring my time, but I would I would like to become better at that and really dedicate solid hours to particular things. But I, I have a lot running. I have a lot of different things that I like to... I mean, the way I like to construct my work life is to have many different things that I... Different ways of using my mind, different projects that I'm working on, different stages of completion. That's very generative for me. And so I, I move through my day and work on many different kinds of things. I, this is a podcast and it's an audio recording, but I'm gesturing over at my whiteboard, which is um, a nice summary of the the many things that I want to accomplish in a day and in a week. And that's that's typically where I start. I live in Portland, Oregon. And one of the reasons for that is that I love to be outside. So I, I try and spend some time outside every day and really enjoy that. And that sort of that, that builds your schedule uh, from 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 the base up and, and, and can it kind of open the number of windows you might need to have open on a given day. Right. 
That's right. Can you think of a a single telling personal story that might either be a warning or an inspiration to help, you know, the listener or or sort of like the, the, the passing interest to say, you know, what does your engagement with with career and industry look like? Is there is there kind of an anecdote you have available in that direction? I, I, I will share, share two small ones. One is both are recent. One is a conversation I, I recently had after or during a conference called the Art of City Building that I spoke at last month. So part of my anecdote is to say, the more you can push yourself to put your ideas out in the world, the better off you will be, the more you will learn and the more you'll connect with people, even in unexpected ways. I really like giving presentations. I um, frequently have the honor of being asked to to share my ideas and to speak. And even if I don't quite know what I'm going to say or or what I'm going to say is not quite fully resolved, I always say yes and then figure it out. And for me, that's a great forcing function. So this experience I had recently at the Art of City Building was really wonderful. The keynote lecture was given by a woman named Zita Cobb, who has since become an absolute inspiration to me. The work she's doing in Fogo Island off the coast of uh, Newfoundland is absolutely incredible. She has started a beautiful hotel and many companies that exist in solidarity and in collaboration. Many of them are alternative business forms like cooperatives. And the entirety of this work is really a hypothesis about what the future of local economy can be. And Zita speaks very, very elegantly and very eloquently about that as a, an initiative and as a new form of, of the economy. And I, I loved this experience because she's done this transformative work, real inspiration for me. And I'm at the beginning of a journey into what distributed renewable energy might look like. What was exciting is that after both of our presentations, we were sitting together and and said, I think we were just saying the same thing, but about completely different fields. It was the, the same core, the same kind of approach to how society and how complex systems can be organized. And it was just this incredibly generative conversation that unspooled from that moment of realizing that we had the same hypothesis about complex systems. And so that that was a really beautiful experience. And and I hope to work together with Zita and, and some other folks that were part of that conversation. The other anecdote I'll share is to say that um, as much as we can be inspired by these these new ideas, these approaches to reorganizing technologies and complex systems, it's really not easy. And what we're attempting to do with solar microgrids is both an innovation in technology and also an innovation in financing and governance. And when we approach conventional actors, I I don't want to name anyone, but the policymakers, the grid utility operators, the real estate developers, the financiers, to do something that's so different from the norm is still not easy. And we have a long way to go. When we have the joy of operating in spaces where people are really thinking about the future and thinking about how we can structure things differently, that is heterogeneous. Not everyone has has the same approach. And, and many people are still falling back on conventions. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't be working to change the status quo for the better, for environmental reasons and for social equity reasons, but it's it's not easy. And I'm learning that every day. I am an optimist. And so I always approach things with a sense that, that the world can be different and that it will be different. And that if we work hard, uh, we can make that happen. But man, it's it's tough to hear to hear no or to hear well, that's nice, but it's just not the way things are done. All right. 
Yeah, that's a great reminder too that collaboration. I mean, I often and I think you know in the creative fields we talk about collaboration in a purely like positive generative way, like you know working together with like-minded. But collaboration also entails working with people who might be coming from an entirely different perspective, and there can still be some something that can be built there. But it's so much more difficult. That's that's a great reminder. So uh, we usually close off the first uh, part of our conversation with a couple of kind of practical advisory sort of questions. So we'll skim over to that. Um, if you could only provide one piece of advice to start a student down a similar path, and I know you, it's a complicated, multi-layered path, right? So I don't know that there'll be an easy answer to this, but, but if you did have like sort of what, what floats to the surface in terms of the kind of advice that you'd give? My advice would be know what you think you're going to do, have a vision, and be incredibly motivated to, to get there. Set that point off in the distance and build some train tracks in that direction, but also be entirely open and rejoice when the train tracks veer hard left and things look completely different and just open yourself up to saying yes. If it's something that aligns with your, your values and your interests. I, I find that having the momentum of knowing where you're going is really important. It gets you moving in a direction, but opening up to, to those hard pivots is always where you get to the place you need to be. That's great. Yeah. How about one decision mistake that you might take back if you had the chance? Now, everyone almost instantaneously says, I wouldn't take anything back because it got me to where I am now. Think about this more in the sense of, you know, training in someone else to say, hey, this is something that maybe this is a mistake you don't need to make because I can tell you about it. Anything there? <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm having a hard time with this. Um, <laughs> What is a mistake? Or, and it doesn't even have to be a mistake. It can be less than informed decision or something you wish you knew, um, something you wish you know, to do it again. And if you could help somebody else to, to know better in their passing over that same kind of a moment. Mm -hmm. um, I think I would say this is more of a mental attitude to really trust that where you are right now is the right place to be, but also keep moving forward. I'm thinking about where the next place I'm going to be is. And I regret that at, at times I haven't been as focused on what I'm doing right now and taken joy in that and really reveled in whatever the, the particular situation I'm in. And that's, that's obviously true when things are difficult, but I think it can be true also when things are generally good. So that, that would be the one thing I would do differently if I could go back. Yeah, I think if, if if we could all do that, I think we'd be happier on a daily basis, or perhaps and and particularly as we carry forward and remember. Oh wait, if I was only more in that moment, I totally agree. How about um, what's on your horizon? What's exciting you? you? You mentioned a few of your projects, and to to the degree that you can tell us more about them or something that's happening with you right now or with something you're involved in. Um, yeah, anything that you'd want to uh, uh, open our eyes to or, or or give us a sense of? Sure. Yeah, I'm in a a strange in-between phase right now, uh, which is again, a, a, a wonderful place to be. I have to remind myself that. I've recently launched a design firm, a strategic design firm called Field States. And I'm really excited about the work that I'm doing through that and have some wonderful projects that I'm working on with great partners and clients. One of those projects initially was this work, this feasibility on study on solar microgrids. And there seems to be something there 
And I've been pursuing that in a more dedicated sense. I'm looking at actually launching that as a, as a company and trying to build that and grow it and really dedicate my time to it. So for me, I'm, I'm excited to know either that it's going to work and I'm going to jump into that entirely or, you know, for technical reasons or regulatory reasons that it's just not going to work. And I want to make sure that, you know, I really understand this world and all its complexities. And so I'm looking forward to having that that certainty and, and diving one way or another. But as I said before, I, I like having many things running. So it's a it's a healthy in-between place. And I'm excited about about all the work that I'm doing. So I feel very lucky that I get to to pursue these kinds of projects. Yeah, that's fantastic. So let's uh we'll wrap it up for for this first half of our conversation, but I'll I'll look forward to coming back around and diving a little bit deeper in, in your background and some of that lab work and other things that you've been involved in, um, some of the collaborative spaces that you've been able to to be a part of and even found and 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 nurture. Um so thank you again, Matthew. I appreciate your involvement in this conversation. Thanks, sir. That's it for today, but we'll be coming back around to finish our conversation with Matthew Claudel next week. Until then, as always, don't be afraid to use the word career, but always stay crafty.